It wasn't my plan to stay sober. Rosemary O'Connor joins us to share her story and a lot of material about recovery. We talk about a sober mom's guide, working with Glasshouse, and her journey to sobriety. We touch on pivot curriculum, attachment theory, circle boundaries, codependency, and reacting with our inner child versus our inner teen or as an emotionally aware adult. Do you want me to just listen or do you want some feedback? Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Neider. I'm a husband, a father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. The Illuminate Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Illuminate Billing Advocates. Make billing and collection simple with leader in substance abuse and mental health billing services. Verification and analysis of benefits, pre-authorizations, utilization management, accurate claim submission and management, denial and appeal management, and industry-leading reporting. Improve your practice's cash flow and your ability to help your clients with Illuminate Billing Advocates. Rosemary O'Connor is joining Kurt and I on the podcast today. Rosemary has been in the recovery industry for a long time after her own um, recovery story and journey. Um, She is a life recovery and relationship coach at Rosemary O'Connor Consultant. Um, She's a speaker and a writer for Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation. She is an author of A Sober Mom's Guide to Recovery. Uh, She's also the founder of Rock Recovery Services. She's the founder of Sober Mom's Guide. Um, This list of accomplishments is probably just scratching the surface of the things that you've done, Rosemary, but thank you so much for um, being with us today. Mm, Thank you. Thanks, Shelly and Kurt, for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I know that you've been you've been around. I've seen you speaking at conferences and advocating and working with facilities for a really long time. <clears throat> I'd really love to start. This this struck me, and I wanted to start with a quote that you had used in the beginning of your "A Sober Mom's Guide to Recovery." Um, this was under the chapter of of hitting bottom in that book, and the quote is, "Recovery is not so bad." It's kind of like walking downward through molasses up to your crotch with your legs tied together. And that quote is by Ann Wilson Schaefer. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, isn't that the truth, right? Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about um, some background about how you ended up in the recovery world, some of the challenges you faced as a, as a mom, and, and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, well, how I ended up in the recovery world, uh, you know, basically couldn't control my drinking. And um, one night um, I had hired a 10-year-old babysitter to watch my two, five, and eight-year-old. Um, I was separated uh, from my now um, what I call husband, my, I don't like the word ex. <laughs> um, and yeah, and that was over 21 years ago. And long story short, you know, I, I, 
I love my kids more than anything. And um, but what we know about drugs and alcohol is it doesn't care what you love or what you like or anything. It, it takes anything and everything um, that's important to us. Um, so you know, I went out, left the kids and the if you could call her a babysitter, I would say the other child, ten-year-old <laughs> babysitter. And so I'd be home in a couple hours and. Um, got all dressed up in this fancy ball gown. I was going to this real fancy ball, and uh, yeah, I didn't come home. And I did walk in the next morning with uh, that lovely sequined gown with throw up all over it, one shoe, um, no cell phone, um, you know, to my three kids sitting in their jammies looking up at me like, who is this monster that just walked through the door? Because I wasn't that fall down drunk mom. Um, I was, you know, the soccer mom. I was the sweet mom. I, you know, I, I, I was one of those that looked good out there. Um, but behind the scenes, I really, you know, the, I couldn't control my drinking. Um, and so my ex-husband, soon to be ex-husband, looked at me like that look of disgust that we get from you know, those people around us that don't understand this disease and shook his head. And basically I knew if I didn't get help that day, he would take those kids from me. So, um, yeah, I decided that if I didn't do it, then five o'clock would roll around and I'd be drinking and, you know, the same thing. So, you know, that was the bottom. Many, many stories like that. Um, but so I got sober for myself, excuse me, I got sober for my kids. Um, and then I decided to stay. Um, I, um, I learned about the disease of alcoholism. Um, I, I, I didn't know that you could still have a job, lots of friends, family, um, success, beautiful kids, beautiful home, and be an alcoholic. I thought it was the guy on the park bench with the you know trench coat and the bottle and the bag. So, you know, um, didn't plan to ever, ever not, you know, I, it wasn't my plan to stay sober. I'll tell you that. Um, and you know, when I was, uh, I want to say probably about four years sober, I, um, actually went back to, and this was in, yeah, 2004, cause I got sober in 1999. Um, I had been a really successful sales person in the real estate industry, but you know, I just didn't want to do that anymore. And um, I, the life coaching field had just started and that was back when you actually had to go to school and take classes and get in all these hours. So I did that for about a year. And then being in the recovery field, you know, it just kind of rolled into that. My clients were wanting help um, that, uh, you know, I didn't only, and I still don't only cover uh, coach people in recovery. Um, I feel like we're all in recovery from something, right? So um, I just along the way got different certifications. And, um, you know, now currently I use, like I said earlier, before we started, um, the pivot curriculum, which is actually like transforming curriculum that um, we're really looking at attachment and why we're drinking and using or why we're trying to control others because um, I definitely do a lot of work with the codependency um, people suffering out there as well. So um, hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And that was a great, you know, kind of a great lead in and history as to, you know, how you ended up in this industry and, and why you're so passionate about it. 
Um, you mentioned, and I know we talked about this pre-show, but talk a little bit about Pivot, you know, where that came from, that approach, and um, and why you're so attached to it. Yeah. Um, so, gosh, about 10 years ago, Lori Jean Glass um, um, was the chief executive officer for um, a treatment center she helped open called Five Sisters Ranch. And at that time, it was just treating women for um, uh, love addiction and codependency. So I worked up there for quite some time uh, while I was still working for Hazelden um, and Altamira at that time. Um, I went up there on Sundays just to start leading some workshops. And then when the clients would go home, I would coach them. Um, so I watched Lori Jean develop this amazing program and, you know, I would come in at that time, it was two weeks and I would come in on a Sunday, which was the first day they started. And then by the second Sunday, when I get back there, I didn't even recognize these women. Um, so then when that owner shut down Lori Jean Glass, she opened, um, the glass house, which is in Marin County Bay area. It's a five day deep dive into the pivot process, uh, which is looking at attachment and really looking at why we do what we do and then giving, um, the clients high impact solutions to address, um, their attachment disorders. Um, and I, I just saw the transformation and then, so I got certified to be a pivot advocate, which means you can do the glass house for five days, or you can do one-on-one -on -one coaching via phone or, or a zoom and, uh, or you can do like a one or two day intensive where you either come to the glass house or we come to you. She's got like 30 independent contractors that are all certified coaches. And um, I, I've never seen anything work so quickly. Not that it's easy, but she has really made it super simple to look at why we do what we do and to give like seriously high impact practical solutions. Um, I have been trained on so many different modalities over the last 20 years. And I use this no matter who I'm coaching because I've never seen something so effective. And what, what, what is, I know that's hard to identify one piece, but what is the piece? I know you talked about attachment and we should probably step back just a minute and, and just de describe to our listeners really, you know, give some background around attachment. What, what is attachment? Why is it so important? And how does it make a difference in recovery? Well, you know, we're looking at um, our psychology, psych, psych, oh, come on, our developmental psychology and what um, we, we've been through since zero to wherever you are now. Um, so at the glass house and pivot, it's pivot curriculum, basically, it's we look at the zero to 12 year old, like what was going on in your lifetime? And like at Pivot, we're not diving deep into trauma or anything. I like to describe it as, you know, we're, we're peeking in the rear view mirror, not to shame or blame anybody, but like looking back in your household, looking back at you at school, looking back at you with your peers and kind of just like what was going on. 
and um, and you know we know is um, what happens from zero to five in terms of our brain forming is most significant, and then our brains are still forming until we're 25. So computer chips are going in those little brains of ours, right? And um, we're all responding to different different circumstances. So like I'm one of seven kids, um, um, uh, Irish Catholic that um, one of seven kids born in eight and a half years. So if you would if you would talk to any of my siblings, you know, we're all in the same house, two wonderful parents, but we've all had different experiences, right? Um, I always say we have different thumbprints. So at Pivot, they're looking at, you know, what happened from zero to 12? And how did you how did you respond to it? And how are those ways of responding still affecting your life today? So, you know, a lot of times we're looking at the inner child, as some call it out there. Um, what I don't see looked at a lot in, in this world of psychology and recovery um, is what went on in our teen years, you know, that is really, really impacting our lives today. Um, like I know for me, if you piss me off, my teen is going to want to run after you, look out, right? You want her on your team. Um, and then we're looking at how that's affecting your adult life. Um, because most likely you can see, um, I'll give an example. So like, um, if um, you've hurt my feelings, as a little girl, I ran, I ran away and cried. As a teen, and this is just me, because we all have different developmental psychology and we all respond differently. As a teen, if you hurt my feelings, you're not gonna see that I'm hurt. That's when I'm coming after you, right? And as an adult, for me, um, I'm just going to put on this smiley face and do, who do you want me to be? What do you want me to say? And, um, you know, people please, basically. So at Pivot, we, we help develop what we call your healthy adult, which it, it means you at your highest good. And you come up with literally in the moment repairs so you don't act out in your everyday life with those um what we call survival patterns that that repeated unhealthy do um so because it's not appropriate like if i'm out there at a board meeting at work and if you hurt my feelings i can't run off to the bathroom and cry right um i also can't uh really attack you um and also i want to show up as a dignified woman that has their own healthy voice and let you know my input or uh, you know and to say what I need to say in a healthy adult manner. When, when you're out there, I mean, it's very, you know, I can definitely see, um, you know, when, when we got two people going like this, most likely you got two teenagers that are adults. They might be 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, but they're acting like teenagers. And we know how disruptive that is, right? Or we've got plenty of people out there that, think they're having their voice, but they're really throwing up all over you. Um, so really, it's like teaching you in the moment how to how to behave, um, you know, and so we're all in healthy alignment with each other. So I'm not hurting you or hurting me. Mm. 
I love the way you describe that and, and that the way that connects with attachment, right? Is attachment is the way we connect with people and it starts, like you said, at those very young ages of how did we bond with that primary caregiver and what was that relationship like? And and I think it's interesting, you said you had, you know, a family of eight and each one of those siblings may have had a different experience of attachment, even in the same home with the same parents. Um, just because of the way that they, you know, they experience the world and it's, it's fascinating, right? And so there's, there's so much healing to be done. I'm wondering if you can take what you've learned and how you, what you teach and take it back to your own, um, kids and your own family as you were in addiction and trying to heal some of those ruptures and some of those attachment pieces that happen with addiction, which are just a normal part of addiction. Yeah, and you, may, you bring up a good point, as we know, with, with trauma or even, um, you know, little, tra- little T, big T, anywhere from, you know, um, maybe the effect that moving from house to house had on um, kids, um, uh, alcoholism, the effect, and all the um, uh, codependency, and how we hand that down generation to generation. In my own experience, let's see if I can make this short. Um, I'm number three of the seven. And, um, you know, in eight and a half years, you have to figure out a whole lot on your own. You know, I have two wonderful, loving parents. I, you know, I grew up as a, as a, a person that all my needs were met and then some. And, um, you know, but my oldest sister and I fought like cats and dogs. You know, we kind of wanted to run the household. And we, you know, we were horrible to each other all our lives. Like she called me stupid, fat, and ugly. I called her all sorts of mean things too. Well, you know, you grow up like that. And, you know, that still to this day comes up for me. This is just one example. So um, it's been a lot to recover like that. So now when I'm getting, when I'm drinking, what I didn't know, um, I was trying to stuff all that pain, and this is just one example of the pain, um, uh, down and, and doing anything so no one thought I was stupid, fat, or ugly, right? Because that's how I really felt. Um, so go on, you know, and that's a big reason while I was drinking. Um, well, I drank for all sorts of reasons, but in terms of masking the pain, that was one big reason. Now. As a mom, um, even when I was married, it was I created a lot of damage, um, not only in my drinking, because as we know, it's a symptom, right? We're, we're looking, and this is what you learn at Pivot, is to pick up something to manage and tolerate those, you know, what feels like excruciating feelings. Um, so here I'm parenting as a mom. I'm not aware of these um, traumas inside me. Um, so I'm trying to be the perfect mom. I'm trying to make my kids be perfect to each other. Like no fighting. Uh, kids are going to fight, right? But it was so excruciating to me to see my children fight that I created lots of damage. Um, you know, and just the fact that, you know, I got sober when they were two, five and eight, the guilt and the shame that we know that goes with alcoholism and addiction and then in this world this image that mothers have to play 
that we've got to be that perfect mom. I mean, that alone is so damaging to a child's um, um, uh, developmental psychology. I mean, that's just one very small example. You know, when we're carrying the guilt and shame of legacies, and then we have our own, you know, these little kids are going to pick it up, right? Oh, they pick it up. They don't miss anything, right? You don't even have to say it and they pick up. They pick up those neural, those mirror neurons, right? They pick up how you're feeling. Even if you don't ever, if you try and put on the smiley face, they know, right? They're so smart. And it, it causes, you know, um, well, for children and, and something that's important is kids, kids depend on their primary caregivers, right? They depend on them for their survival. And so their primary caregiver has to be good and has to be right and has to be perfect in some ways in their eyes, right? So if something's wrong, the children usually think it's them, that there must be a problem with me if my mom is like this because my mom can't have a problem. I need her. Right, right. And so, so it creates yeah. these dynamics that we're not like you talked about. You're not even aware that those messages are playing in our in our, you know, in our psyche. Right, right. And especially like um because the my upbringing looks so great on the outside, you know, beautiful home and a wonderful area um in LA and um, all the best schools and vacations. And I, my parents are two really loving people still married after, I don't know, 65 years. Um, but, uh, you know, then I won't go into the guilt of the Catholic church and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, we, we are just affected by everything in our life. I mean, we're human beings, right? So, um, it's tough and especially these days to live in this world, right? Mm -hmm. So what I love about the pivot tools is that, um, you know, I've got something when I'm feeling anxious, depressed, um, scared, um, uh, overwhelmed, uh, shame, guilt. So I don't have to stay stuck in it all day. Like literally I'm like, okay, get this healthy adult on board because little girl is scared. And, um, and so she, that, that teen is going to come out and just fight. And then for me, my adult, my attachment style is ambiguous. So ambivalent. So then I try to figure things out. And so I go round and round. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's reasons why, like, if two parents are divorced and they're living in separate households that are completely different, or even if there's two parents... Um, that have two different uh, parenting styles that can create um, ambivalence in a child. What should I do? This is this right? Is that right? Is this wrong? Is that wrong? You know. Then we have the um, the anxious. You know, when when you grow up with an anxious care uh, caregiver, you're gonna pick that up. If you grow up with an avoidant, you're gonna you're gonna pick that up people that just don't want to deal with things, that don't want to feel, you know. So at Pivot, we're trying to help everybody literally pivot until they're secure adult to, in everyday life, have rational thinking, being able to manage and tolerate our feelings, and then create the healthy do. That's what we call the think, feel, do. So it's, it's really fascinating. 
It so is I want to fascinating. Check out some more of those tools, but before we get to that, I have kind of a personal question, and this is kind of random. But you talked about your parents, and there's a generational shift between ger- generations, obviously, right? But there, and you talk about maybe some shame coming from like your parents are obviously still married at 65 years after 65 years. So like you know, we internalize that as, well, why couldn't I make it happen, or what what's wrong with me, or whatever, right? But now after learning the things that you have, when you look at their like 65 year marriage, and this is where the kind of personal question comes in, have they just done this right? And they're so happy and they're this crowd who doesn't fight ever, right? Like, which I think is the crowd of liars. But when you, when you, when you look at that relationship now, can you see there are actually really unhealthy elements inside of that relationship? They're just from the generation that doesn't quit. Exactly. Divorce was never an option or, or have they worked together to figure out some of these things together? You know what I mean? Yeah. Can you analyze that relationship at all or do you? So I'd say yes and yes. Yes. It's generational. Yes. Also many other factors play in like, you know, the religion, the, um, um, Oh, gosh, just the, um, you know, for Irish, yeah, you don't talk about problems. Um, You certainly don't get divorced. You do not talk about your drinking or any any issues because everything's kind of happy, happy, right? And, yes, you know, my parents, I have to say, have really worked at their marriage, really worked at their marriage. And for whatever reason, it works for them. Right. Um, if I were half, which I wouldn't do, but if I were to have somebody come in and coach my parents, I mean, we can all improve. Right. But it's individual. So how I might respond to um, being in relationship with one man is different because attachment, we attach differently to different people and different circumstances. Um, it could be totally different. But what I can tell you, it all comes back to what I see and what I heard and what I felt. So any of that as an adult that I might have picked up is my responsibility, right? I'm 59 years old. Yeah, and that's where those tools come in. So keep keep talking about those because that, okay. that was super interesting. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you, um, let's see, what's one example? Um, So, you know, I've been, I got divorced when I was newly sober. So for my example, um, you know, Irish Catholic good girls don't get divorced, right? And you certainly don't make all the mistakes I've made, right? I made a lot of mistakes. Um, That can still come up for me in my everyday life. Right. So the guilt can come up. The shame can come up. So you learn like what part of me is feeling um, bad about myself. So like that, those different parts of self I talked about, that little girl in me can feel bad. Like I made a mistake and I really wanted to be good. Right. Because in most families and in my family, my own experiences, if you were good and you behaved to me, I internalized that that either you're good or you're bad. Okay, so in my marriage, I made a lot of mistakes. 
right? So when I see like my kids sometimes like, or I go into, oh my God, I totally messed them up. You know, that all my behaviors, it's all my fault. And instead, what I know to do is literally, one way is to go back to that little girl in me that's in me. It's not going away. Just different things spark it a little bit uh, harder some days, right? Depending on what it is that's causing that spark. So I can literally picture that little girl in me and just say, Rosemary, you're not bad. You know, you don't have to pretend. And so when I'm feeling like that, I, one of my tools is I pick up what, we, uh, what I call a good. And that's our whole circle boundary thing. That's a whole other thing. At, at It's basically someone I trust and just talk about my feelings, right? And my goods, which are the people I trust, know not to tell me, oh, you're crazy to think like that. They'll say things like, Rosemary, do you want me to just listen or do you want some feedback? And usually I'm like, well, I, I want you to just listen how, of how horrible I'm feeling about being, you know, making wrong choices for my kids. And then they might say, yeah, and now, Rosemary, the feedback I want to give you is I want you to just list, and this is actually in my Sober Moms book, you know, all the things you do well as a mom. And also, those mistakes are in the past. I need to be present today to show up as a healthy adult to still parent my kids. So are those people, the people who are your goods, quote unquote, are, are most of them also trained in pivot? Um, no, no, a couple of them are, you know, it's just about like, so we have this amazing circle boundary thing that helps you. I've never seen anything like this boundaries. Um, it really helps you get clear on who the people are in your life and how they show up and how you need to show up, right? So no, like my goods, the one word we give it is trust. So I'm not going to go tell someone, I'm certainly not going to go to my kids and say, oh, I feel like the worst mom. And, you know, my guilt, I used to overshop for those kids. I would like buy them things, which is not helpful. It really does damage to the kids. Or I'd say yes to everything because of my guilt. But the goods are people, back to your question, that are that I trust, that if I tell them something, they're not going to go tell other people. You know, I don't know if you've ever, like, you know, told somebody something and you thought they were trustworthy and then they told many other people, right? Yeah, and, and part of the reason why I asked that is you mentioned, because obviously when, when you're looking to, to kind of, vent right when you're looking for that that good you talked about a really simple kind of process of response that i think is unnatural today right i think it requires a, a huge amount of maturity first just the okay do you want me to just listen or do you want some feedback mm -hmm. but then the feedback that you referred to let's say that you said you wanted some feedback it wasn't criticism mm -mm. it was reassured it was reassurance of Okay, well, here are some of the things you're doing right. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, and I think that's really challenging, right? Because I think it's, 
hey, like you said, if you went to your kids and you were like, oh, I'm not a good mom, you're kind of, they're too close to the situation and you're really looking exactly. for, you're really looking for them to fix, reassure you about something you did wrong where you really need it. Right, because that not creates... Not interesting third party, but maybe an outside party, right? Yeah, it, 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 that creates, um, when we're doing that to our kids, it creates codependency. Right. Enmeshment with the kids. And, um, you know, I did that before I had these tools. And so, yes, um, I've had to learn, and I think a lot of people in recovery, and hey, a lot of people out in the world, we need to take 100% responsibility for ourselves, right? At the end of the day, it's all the choices I've made. And um, I wasn't clear on that without the pivot tools. Yeah, uh, they make it really simple. They teach us to say things like, when someone says, you know what, Um, I'm really pissed off at you. And normally I'd be like, well, yeah, because you're such a jerk. Uh, you know, so we teach them to say things like, huh, tell me more. I'm just curious what it was that I did. And you know what? I, I can hear you better if you don't yell at me. Right? So it's literally like simple practice tools. Now, then we have like at that category that we call a semi in our circle boundaries, which, you know, I know. I, who I can tell things to and who I can't. And I'll just give you a simple example. So one of my family members love her because our circle boundaries are not about how much we love or even like anybody. Um, We have very different, and I know this is happening out there a lot in the world because a lot of my clients are having this issue. Um, We have very, one of my siblings, we have very different political views. Now, I love this sibling to pieces. I want, we want people to like us and love us, right? So that little girl in me would not want to um, get in the conversation because I would be afraid of what she'd think of me, right? The teenager, so I just shut down and maybe agree with her. Um, The teenager would be like, you know, you're such an idiot. How could you even think that way? So a lot of damage for the relationship. The, um, the unhealthy adult in me will just avoid, avoid. Don't return the phone calls, don't blah, blah, blah. So the healthy adult in me puts her in a semi because it's not how much I love or like her. And I just know that that's one topic I don't talk about. So if she says, hey, Rosemary, what did you think of the news and blah, blah, blah? I'd be like, you know what, sister, I'm not gonna mention her name, um, actually, I don't really want to talk about politics. Then I have some topics in my backyard. Hey, you know, what did you think of, um, that, that chicken recipe that, um, that I made? Did you like it? You know, we, I find things that we have in common. So what we're trying to create is connection, right? And I really believe that alcoholism and addiction, uh, we're craving that connection. I mean, we all are as humans. We just don't know how to do it because of our developmental psychology, of our attachment. So true. So true. It's, it's, I love the way you talk about your recovery is in the present, that you're still there, right? And, and, and I like that because not all of us have the same symptoms, right, that brought us into recovery. You know, it may not be alcoholism. It might be 
whatever, right? But we're all in recovery from being human beings. And it's, it's a challenge being a human being. And like you said, right, showing up as my best adult self and instead of my, you know, less, less uh, best adult self or my, you know, traumatized teenager or my wounded little child, right? Is that those are all parts of us. And I think people who are new to recovery are going to go, yeah, you guys are like, borderline, you know, you guys got some, some real serious things going on with all these different personalities, right? <laughs> with all these different pieces. But, but that really is the way we come because we're all one piece and we have these broken little parts of us. So I love the way you talk about that. How have you repaired your relationship with your kids over the years? And, and still today, I'm sure, because I, you know, we all are still, still working on it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So many things. Um, well, I have learned that to not parent from guilt and shame, to realize that um, I, I'm not recreating the drama and the trauma. And believe me, even in my recovery, I, you know, my addiction went elsewhere, put down the alcohol, and then there's plenty of other things to pick up out there in the world that damage me and anybody that was in relationship with me. So one, the best thing I have done for my recovery is, and my kids and reparenting is not drink or drug, right? Because if I do that, all bets are off. Mm -hmm. All bets are off. Um, I've also learned to get honest. I've, I've gotten to really know myself, right? And, and that's what I love about Pivot. Like, who is parenting? Who, what part of myself? You know, like I had a thing with my daughter during COVID. It's like, I just wanted to see her, you know? And um, so I got, my team got a little nasty because I made it all about me. You know, my, who did that? My little girl, we, little kids make it all about them. And then my team came out and attacked. Hmm. What do you mean? Da, 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 da. So I got to go back and repair and just say, hey, honey, I just want to let you know that wasn't okay how I behaved. And I respect your decision. And I'm going to do my best to not behave like that anymore. I love it. And I love the way, you know, you talked about being 100% responsible, which yeah. is so key. And the thing that's interesting, you know, is we all may have a, an idea of what being 100% responsible looks like, or some of us may go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, because we grew up in a space where our boundaries were violated over and over again, perhaps, right? where we didn't have any of that modeled for us. It was always blame and, you know, what's wrong with you? Just like you said, you know, those messages in your head of, of that your sister put there and that you held on to. You know, we don't, we don't have those, those, um, those models, those frameworks. We don't know what that means. And so when, especially an addiction just plays into that so much, right? An attachment, it's all about, there's, I can't have anything wrong with me. And if something's wrong with me, then the world's going to, you know, I'm going to die and the world's going to end. And so I've got to place blame outside of myself so it's not about me. And the, right. the problem with that is, is you can't take ownership. Just like I heard you take ownership of that 
rupture in your relationship with your daughter and go, oh, I didn't show up the way I wanted to show up. And and now I'm going to have to fix it and I'm going to own it, right? That 100% responsibility, I'm going to own it and I'm going to go, I'm sorry, I don't like this, but I'm going to try and do better. I'm going to do my best, right? And it's not perfection. It's just, I'm going to do my best. So I love that example. It was beautiful and amazing. Yeah. You bring up a good point about what 100% looks like. Um, Like a pivot, we say that, you know, if you can be in your healthy adult 70% of the day, that's a really good day because we're not trying to breed um, perfectionists. Matter of fact, most of us are recovering from that, whatever that is. Um, And it is, it's, you know, we don't look at people as bad or um, broken, we just look at where the wounding started and um, what you can do about it today in the moment. Yeah, well, and owning the fact that as human beings, we are just gonna make mistakes. Oh, yeah. Right, and and, and, and allowing ourselves, giving ourselves permission to go, oh, I didn't like that piece, now I'm gonna go fix it so I can feel, you know, feel good about myself and have integrity, right? Right, right, right. And you know, beating ourselves up all day long or looking for, I didn't do that right, and I didn't do that right. You know, basically, we're just self-absorbed. <laughs> Isn't right? that the truth? <laughs> and so, like, my healthy adult, because my unhealthy adult can do that a lot. Like, Rizmer, you should have done this, and you should have done that. And and so my healthy adult just gets on board. Hey, Rosemary, you're doing a great job. Okay, you didn't like what you, how you treated your daughter? Let's just go back in and repair that. It's simple. So... I walk away feeling good about myself. That's how we build the self-esteem, right? Yeah. And we build connection. And we don't have it's to funny, sit in there's it. There's like levels and steps in it too, because there's there's understanding those emotional issues. Mm-hmm. But that's only half of it. Just just understanding that and having your own boundaries and being willing to back off and any of that kind of stuff doesn't mean that you know how to communicate any of that. The communication right. of that is now like this next level of you've got to learn how to actually, you know, communicate those needs or mm-hmm. um, boundaries with other people. And then as you're learning it, it's the challenge of like, well, how do I incorporate those for other people, mm-hmm. which you'll just never be able to do. You're never right? going to be You know, if it, if it is a problem with a spouse or your children or whatever, you can yeah. never incorporate those for them yeah. well, if they what don't go of, there there's never going to be that change right so what we do a lot is that you'll see in relationships and i'm not only saying intimate relationships but specifically in um intimate relationships because you know those are where we can get you know triggered the most right um we assign that um job description to fix us heal us you know, love me, love me, and, you know, tell me I'm pretty, beautiful, smart, skinny, you know, whatever. Um, tell me I'm good enough. Tell me I'm worthy. Please don't abandon me. So we hand that, like, power to other people. When, you know, there's no man that can tell me enough times how beautiful I am to heal that wound. It's really nice when they say that. Kind of just adds some, you know, sprinkles on the cake, but I've got to be the cheerleader for myself. And instead of looking at the mirror and going, oh, this doesn't look good and that doesn't look good, going, Rosemary, you look great, 59 years old, you take really good care of yourself, right? 
right? And I'm not going to go out there because if I compare myself to others, oh, you know, it's a shot in the foot. And if some man wants me just for my outside, well, they're not getting the best part. And job description is a good phrase for that, too, because like yeah. you said, it's not just intimate relationships, but your boss could be the same Ooh. way, right? There are, other, there are other relationships in life where there are different kinds of pressure and expectations, and it's really not up to them to make you happy or successful or content or any yeah. of those things. You've got yeah. to kind of show up in your own way each day. Right, right. You know, like when I was in sales, I had to be number one. I wanted everybody to think I'm number one. You know, that's exhausting. How about I just do the best I can? And some days my best is, is just got to be good enough. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the no truth? One can, yeah, no one can fill that hole of making me feel good enough. Not a man, not a job, not a, I don't know, not a bowl of ice cream, not, you know, whatever it is I'm looking to soothe that attachment, those attachment wounds. It's my job. And that's when we talk about I'm 100% responsible to blame and shame. It, just, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. work. I know I had a, an epiphany one time. Years ago, I had heard somebody describe this analogy of taking a dollar bill, <clears throat> crumpling it. You know, it's been through the dust. It's been through the dirt. It's got grease on it. The corners are, the corners are torn. It's, it's haggard and mangled. And we've all seen a poor dollar bill like that. And, you know, but it has this, well, and I guess it wasn't a dollar bill. It was a, probably a hundred dollar bill, right? Did the value of the hundred dollar bill change through all the tarnish, through all the pain, through all the agony and all of the things that it went through, the dollar bill didn't change. And as I thought about that over the years, I recognized that when somebody compliments me, my value doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And when somebody criticizes me, my value doesn't change. Now I have to remind myself that often is that my value is still there, right? It's there. And, and when I hold my integrity, I feel good. And, and that has to come from inside, like you've talked about. And so, but we have to remind ourselves of that because sometimes those words hurt oh, and, and we all like to hear good things about ourselves, but does it really change our value? And that's an interesting thing to think about. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that, that is great. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, because, um, yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, so here's a question for you, and this is a, a completely different direction, right? Yeah, Going yeah, a different direction. Kurt, when you started your sobriety and you started to kind of get some help and treatment, that kind of thing, did you go through kind of an intensive program? Did you go through a residential program? Did you do this through study on your own? What was that process like for you? Um, a lot. Uh, no, I, when I first got sober, I did not go to treatment. I jumped into a recovery program. Um, you know, um, uh, one of those group recovery programs, um, that I continue to do today. Um, at six years stone cold sober, I actually was having an emotional blackout breakdown. I had no idea what was going on with me. And I just entered a treatment center just for a safe place to go. It, 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 it didn't, what, what I didn't know then, I didn't know then a lot of things, um, but I was doing some an intensive um, codependency work and it just triggered something big time. And um, 
that I never wanted to look at or I never really knew was under there. Again, some childhood deep trauma that a lot of times lays under the surface until we get um, help. Um, and I just, I didn't know what was going on. So here's the thing we see a lot, and this is kind of controversial, but I'm going to say it because I see it so much. So I got sent to a psychiatrist. They gave me a certain diagnosis, got on some meds, and I'm a big proponent of if we've got something going on in our brains, meds helped me and they saved me, right? yet it still didn't solve that trauma. My diagnosis looks and still can look very much like either my little girl or my teen reacting to that trauma in everyday life. And different things can trigger that. And especially in, I won't go into detail, but especially my intimate relationships. Real, and so I see that all the time. We get people a lot of times with all certain, you know, times of diagnosis. Um, and yes, that's, that's a huge part of it. And yet, as you all know, we're all being way over medicated out there, not, and by this recovery field. And, and not to mention all those doctors out there that are just handing us. And as you guys know, being in the insurance billing, why they're doing that. And it's, it's, it's not the answer. It's the, it, it might be some of the answer, but not everything. Like no medication is gonna heal those wounds that can cause my brain to set off like in a snap. If, if one of those parts of myself are triggered. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The medication helps, right? It keeps you, like you talked about, that that zone of, of tolerance, right? Where emotionally we can tolerate doing the work, but when we get really, you know, overstimulated emotionally or, or we shut down emotionally, we can't do our work. And so if we can't stay in that area of tolerance, then maybe we do need a medication to help calm things down a little bit and allow us to do the work, but it is right. not a substitute for the work. It can't no. be because, you know, there's so much more going on, right? All of yeah. those, all of those memories, all of those experiences are all in our cells. A, mm -hmm. a pill or a shot is not going to make all of that change and shift. Yeah. And a lot of people get a lot of my clients say, Oh, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at that. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. I'm like, it's still with you. Yeah. Still with you. And if you don't find practical tools and, you know, we've got to understand why we do what we do without shame, blame. You know, we just have to really get to know ourselves and why we do what we do and then have in the moment what we call empower and re repairs at Pivot. And it's interesting because I don't want to deal with it, except they are dealing with it every day. I'm avoiding it with everything I have. It takes all my energy to keep this down there. And if you'll just look at it, then it becomes less scary, right? Then it becomes manageable and you can start dealing with it and learning about it and coming up with strategies to address it. But as yeah. long as you keep it buried and protected, which is what our child part, that's the only thing our child part knows how to do, right? And so 
so I, lo I love how all that goes together and it fits together. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, you know, I'm very grateful, very yeah. grateful, you know, for recovery and all the healing. Um, when I'm working with families, um, I'll often tell them, I said, you're probably, you want to probably kick me after I say this, but if you do this work, you're going to be grateful someday, um, for this situation. Like I'll get couples a lot of time, help me with my kid, help me with my kid. And I get the kid out of the way into treatment. Um, and then guess what starts coming up? The marital problems. Yeah. I know this doesn't have anything to do with my kid. I'm like, okay. Oh, so glad we're getting to, oh, but my partner, my husband, my wife, uh, okay. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper here. Let's look at your part. Let's look at those parts of self and that developmental psychology. Who is in this relationship? You know, who's going like this, <laughs> you know, the teens, a lot of people out there are not looking at our, um, our teen developmental years and they're causing the most damage because they're usually the ones usually, and this is what I love about pivot. It's not everybody sits in a box. We're looking at what happened to you and what are specific repairs. Like my repair for my teen anger might be different than your repair for your teen anger. Like mine needs to get that out. Some teens just need to bite their tongue. Right? So yeah, where did, where was I going with that? I don't know. <laughs> well, oh, oh, the couples, the couples. We always think it's somebody else's fault. When I got divorced, I would have bet you my right leg that it was 90% his fault. No, I couldn't, I didn't understand what was going on. I, you know, our marriage didn't, it, it probably would have kept together had I had this, this pivot, these pivot tools and self-knowledge. I don't know. You know, we have a great working relationship now and that's most important. Yeah. And, and it shows, it shows that how much work you've done and, and Rosemary, not just in your own life, because I think the best, the best teachers are the ones who do their own work, right? You, you have to do your own work but in the lives of others and you've touched a lot of lives and you've, you know, you're really a huge advocate out there working with not just women, but families and, you know, you know, men and kids and all, all sorts of people. And I can't um, thank you enough for the work that you do. And, and thank you for being on um, and sharing all of these fantastic tools and tips and, and suggestions and sharing your story with us. Um, couple things, one, what's in the future for you and two, people are going to want to get a hold of you. And so definitely include some of your contact information there. Yeah, definitely. What's in store for me right now is just continuing to do, um, taking people through the pivot curriculum, because like I said, so far, I've never seen anything like it. Like we do have people that come to us saying, Oh, I've tried to do this for years and years and years and years. And like in, you know, the five day intensive, you got right down to it with some tools. So anyhow, I can be reached. My number is area code 415-264-0078. And if you want help through Pivot or the Glass House, um, you can go to love2pivot.com. So it's L-O-V-E-T-O, not the number two, uh, love2pivot.com. Awesome. I love it when people give their phone numbers because to me that's that shows some pretty serious dedication. Oh yeah. 
Oh, yeah. You know, uh, addiction or codependency, um, it doesn't have a time frame. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I don't answer my phone after 10 o'clock at night because I'm sleeping, but yeah, you usually hear back from me within the next day or 24 hours or something, or I'm on vacation and, and I'm in self-care and saying, you know what, figure it out. I'll be back. I'm not your savior. I got some codependency uh, problems and some recovery there, too. <laughs> I love it. They're all my attachment issues, right? Uh, we all have them. Rosemary, thanks yeah. so much. You've just been a joy to be with. It's been fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You take care. And thank you for all the excellent work you guys do. I certainly wouldn't want to do that, you know. We all are good at something. Um, but, boy, that is tough work, tough work. Yeah, true story. Yeah. Thanks, Rosemary. Thank you, guys. Take care.